0: First, let's address the obvious issue that it's not a choice like choosing what to eat for dinner off a menu. There's more that goes into it than a simple choice. For instance, for many people, awakening taps you on the shoulder. Awakening moves in your life and then moves into your life in a way that at first you may not realize what it is, you may ignore it or even try to suppress it. But at some point it's uh, unable, you are unable to ignore it. That's how it often happens with people. Or you become interested in a way that you're not fully sure what it actually is, but you become interested enough to practice, to work toward it, to inquire, to meditate, or do retreats. But you're still not 100% sure, or maybe even 50% sure, what it actually is or what it means. But over time, practice, things clarify. You become more attuned to what actually is happening, what awakening is. So those are more likely scenarios than just hearing about awakening going, oh, is that something I want or don't want? (laughs) It's not quite that simple. But that's not the crux of the question or the crux of this uh, video. What's in it for you? Now, I will point out right away that in many traditions or let's say schools of thought around enlightenment, awakening, Hinduism perhaps, Buddhism, Advaita Vedanta, uh, but particularly in Buddhism, there may be almost a shaming of having that mindset of what do I get out of it? Like you should take the bodhisattva vows. You should wanna do it for the right reasons already. But to me, that's not particularly authentic because as you start out before awakening and for quite some time after awakening, there's still a lot of personal motivation. There are ideas you have about what it's gonna give you or ideas about what it's gonna mean ultimately or where you will end up after these shifts in identity. So rather than just tell you, you should vow to something bigger better or more altruistic, I'm more inclined to tell you, be honest with yourself. Because we're complex. The mind is complex. The psyche is complex. And just through my own experience, it's become clear that there can be more than one agenda or more than one movement occurring simultaneously. And there often is. There can be a seeking energy, a seeker that you've identified with. There can be hidden or not so hidden beliefs that awakening is going to make you ultimately happy or give you what you want, or give you better relationships, or allow you to enter mystical states on a constant basis. We can have these beliefs and motivations. And at the same time, the genuine, uh, ineffable movement that drives this whole process can be moving in your life, can be clarifying itself. So the impetus to awaken is not a personal one at all, actually, because there really is no seeker There really is no individual apart from everything. But there will be some perceptions along those lines until the ego structures or mental structures that allow that to occur dissipate or drop away. So don't convince yourself that you're doing this for a reason you're not doing it for. Because to me, that's just adding a layer of inauthenticity, it's not helpful. It's adding a sort of spiritual identity. Rather, be honest with yourself. Look into your actual agendas and then explore whether there's something deeper than all of that, something that wants to know itself, wants to know truth in a way that's completely undescribable or indescribable. It has nothing to do with your agendas or your thoughts, or even your seeking energy. Acknowledge that as well. Recognize it because it's there or you wouldn't be listening to this. So, from the beginning, I uh, don't discourage people from being honest about their motivations. Seeing that their thoughts, seeing that they're conditioned is helpful, but don't shame yourself or hide that from yourself. At some point, you may wanna take bodhisattva vows. It may make sense to you in an aligned way, in a congruent way with your deeper understanding and insight. But I would suggest Putting that on the back burner for a while. Be authentic, be real, be sincere, be honest with yourself about what's going on. And interestingly, the more you do that, the more you actually clear the way for this other aspect of your experience to come forward, that which does not recognize an individual at all, doesn't recognize any particular agenda, doesn't care about your thoughts about the imaginary future or past, it's just not interested in that. And yet it is here, it's here right now, and it becomes more and more prominent in your experience. You more knowingly inhabit that with time. So, start there. Start by acknowledging whatever it is that you perceive to be the purpose, the meaning, the impetus to bring awakening into your life. This leads to a more practical answer. What's in it for me? Well, practically speaking, there's nothing in it for the separate you because the separate you is an illusion. There's nothing in it for the spiritual seeker because the spiritual seeker is an illusion. But again, don't be unauthentic here. Maybe you've seen videos that say this, so you're supposed to like believe that it's not there. That doesn't help. Adding beliefs don't help. At some point you will see that it's not there. You will realize that now. It's not you that realizes that, it realizes itself. But don't be inauthentic about where you are with this. Now, at some point, what's in it for you is a big release, usually, for most people. A shift, a transformation at the most fundamental level. And following that for a time there's often a peace and a joy. It's far deeper, far more primary, unassailable, than you ever knew was possible in your adult life. That was the case for me. It's been the case for many, many people I talk to and interview and work with. So that's a huge release, a huge relief. It's not really for the little you, it's maybe for the infinite version of you. But Sometimes that's so expansive, so clear, that even the sense of you is kind of in question. It's more like beingness, clarity itself. And that's great, it's your birthright. Now, following this, there's typically a sort of reversal of your experience, never a full reversal. But a reversal from expansiveness, fluidity, clarity, even timelessness, sometimes spacelessness, there's a reversal from all of that being constant, always there, always available, always on, to being sort of intermittent. And then on the other side, there's this this emotion and shadow work that comes into play. And I have a whole playlist on that. Things become very granular, very direct. You could think of it in terms of contraction. There is no fundamental contraction, but it will feel quite contracted at times. The emotions are unguarded, unfiltered, very direct, very immediate. And then as we explore and penetrate those emotions, there'll be more clarity, more expansion. And this is a sort of seesaw effect for a while. This is very much par for the course. Very intense stuff sometimes, but often leading to just more clarity, more ease. It's where the rubber really meets the road when it comes to awakening and liberation. Sometimes I'll refer to that first shift as a freebie. It's a big deal often for someone because it's a big shift, a big change. But there's a large component of grace that comes into play there. Beyond that, you gotta earn it. This is the fifth picture. They refer to it in a specific way that really goes back historically to the flavor of Zen or Chan. It says, hold that nose ring tight and do not allow even a doubt. Not all practice has to be rigid focused and concentrated in that way but there's a truth to this that there's a lot of work to do to tame that bull. It's been untamed for a long time. It's been running rampant so takes a time after that initial shift in the honeymoon period to clarify a lot of this shadow material investigate integrate and on and on so What's in it for you here? An opportunity to integrate things at a far deeper level than you would have ever been able to without awakening. You won't even always want to be doing it. It can be, as I said, very direct and intense, but coming out the other side, you're always happy that it was there for you, that it happened, that you had that access. And then at some point, there's uh, an abiding clarity, an abiding knowingness that's unassailable and ongoing, fluidity and freedom, peace, but nothing fixed, nothing inherently existing. When we get beyond the insight of non-dual and of no self, anatta, things just look very different. You're no longer concerned with what's in it for me, with awakening or anything else in your life. You're more concerned with presence itself, non-dualistic, luminous presence. And its underlying empty nature. So the problem is solved here from the standpoint of what am I going to get out of it? Because it's a moot point from here on out. You could say the sense of self is so expanded, so clarified, so fully integrated into all sounds and sensations, thoughts, consciousness, movement, stillness, that to talk about a self doesn't make sense anymore, an individual self. So it becomes about the process itself, the dharma, unbinding, and the unconditioned, which drives this whole process. It's a sort of love affair. There's a joy to this, even when there are painful things happening. It doesn't really matter. There's an equanimity that's all-pervasive. So, there's a freedom here, but interestingly, it's a freedom from a lot of what we thought we were gonna get. It's a freedom from seeking, a freedom from identifying with a separate, discrete, struggling self, freedom from needing anything any certain way. It's quite beautiful, and it's well worth all of the trouble. Effort, struggle, release, surrender, confusion, grief. So it's the ultimate gift, but there's not really anyone separate to receive it. It's a gift unto itself, the gift of empty clarity, ultimately.